Mike Holmgren has come up just short in Hall of Fame voting two of the past three years. Will 2023 be the year he finally breaks through and gets to Canton? Rob Rang and I are going to discuss on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Jam-packed Friday episode coming your way. We're going to continue our 90-player countdown with numbers 40 through 36. Going to answer some listener questions in our weekly mailbag. And a certain former Seahawks coach is once again up for Hall of Fame voting. We're going to break down his chances of getting to Canton in 2023 now for your lead story here on locked on seahawks the nfl announced on thursday that 54 semifinalists in the coaches as well as contributors and senior classes have been nominated for the 2023 pro football hall of fame class among those nominees mike holmgren is a semifinalist for the third time in four years he actually was a finalist rob back in 2020 during their centennial class was one of the last coaches that was cut from the list and ultimately was not inducted. And then in 2021 was a semifinalist, but this time did not get past that cut to become a finalist. You and I have talked about this extensively the last couple of years. Mike Holmgren is the 16th overall in wins in the regular season, seventh in playoff wins. And yet it's been almost 15 years since he last coached an NFL game and he still has not been inducted. That seems like a travesty. It really does. Uh, you know, I think that just the fact that you're, you're talking about a, a head coach, Corbin, who has more NFL victories, uh, has run the more Super Bowls, has produced more Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks than, than several other coaches that are already in Canton. I, I think that, that Mike Holmgren has a legitimately very strong argument that, that he should be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, and obviously here uh, in, in Seattle, we're, we're going to um, you know, try to kind of wax poetically about Mike Holmgren because, of course, he brought the franchise to its very first Super Bowl. But again, I think that you just look at the, the fact that he did bring both the Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks, two different franchises, to the Super Bowl. Obviously, wound up going one and two overall. Um, but still, to to do that with two different quarterbacks and Brett Favre in Green Bay, and of course with uh, you know Matt Hasselbeck here in Seattle, I, I think basically speaks for itself. Uh, I believe it was 16 NFL seasons in, in, as, as a head coach in, in the NFL with a winning record in all of them. I mean, it, it's just it, the, his success, uh, again, I think speaks for itself and why he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You mentioned the quarterbacks. When he came into the NFL in 1986 as a quarterback coach with the 49ers, Joe Montana was already in his prime. Montana had already run, won Super Bowl, so – the work that Holmgren did with him, you know, he did a great job, ended up becoming the offensive coordinator, but was still kind of hovering under the radar. And then he was a big part of Steve Young's ascendance into becoming a star quarterback and eventually a Hall of Fame quarterback. He goes to the Green Bay Packers in 1992. And I think a lot of fans, especially younger fans, they know how dominant that the Packers have been the last 20 years. But 
they don't realize that there was a really large drought between those two Super Bowl years in 1966 and 1967. And when Holmgren led the Packers to the Super Bowl in 1996, this was one of the worst franchises in the NFL for like two and a half decades. They consistently did not make the playoffs. They didn't get back to the Super Bowl during that time. So Mike Holmgren was taking over a franchise that had been the laughing stock to an extent in that division and quickly got him to nine and seven and then made the playoffs each of the next six years, two Super Bowl appearances, won one of those against the New England Patriots, one of the best offensive minds that the game has ever seen and really ushered in the stellar quarterback play that we have seen develop over the last two or three decades. Mike Holmgren was one of the architects behind that running his West Coast offense. And you just look at the work that he did in San Francisco with the two quarterbacks I mentioned, both Hall of Famers. Brett Favre, we might not be talking about a Hall of Famer in Brett Favre without Mike Holmgren. You remember the way he played in Atlanta before he got traded? He didn't look like a Hall of Fame quarterback. Mike Holmgren was that guiding presence that brought out the best in Brett Favre. And then in Seattle, there were lumps, but Matt Hasselbeck, as we touched on a few days ago in our What If series, by you know stringing him along a little bit, developing him, some tough love, so to speak. Hasselbeck became a three-time Pro Bowler, led the Seahawks team to a Super Bowl. So it seemed like every quarterback that Mike Holmgren touched that he had a couple years to work with became at least a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, if not better. I think on that merit alone, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But you think about the fact the Seahawks in the 90s were so bad. He comes in his first year in Seattle. They make the playoffs. They win the AFC West with a 9-7 record in Green Bay. They had a winning record every year he was there. And the two decades before, they could barely muster a winning season. I just think you look at the entire resume. This is not being biased because it's a Seahawks show. What he did in Green Bay merited Hall of Fame consideration. What he did as an assistant coach in San Francisco. And then to come to Seattle, a franchise that had been on hard luck for a decade, and to turn things around, get him to a Super Bowl, five straight playoff appearances, six playoff appearances total, he absolutely needs to be in the Hall. And I think it's a joke that we're talking about this in 2022, going into 2023, when he hasn't coached since 2008. Just way too good of a coach not to have been selected up to this point. Well, let's just let's just call it out for what it is, Corbin. I mean, if 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 Mike Holmgren had coached uh, for the Chicago Bears or the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Jets, uh, you know, or at Los Angeles team, um, then I think that he would already be in the Hall of Fame. But he coached for the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers. And those are two teams that historically, media-wise, have probably received as little ink as just about anybody imaginable um, in, in the NFL's history. Um, you know, and, and yet he still had success with both of those two teams. And, you know, I, I love that you mentioned, you know, kind of going back to the San Francisco days and uh, his work as an assistant coach. I mean, to me, one of the, the great ways of really evaluating head coaches is just kind of seeing those coaching trees. Who did they influence? I mean, think about how successful Andy Reid has been. He coached, of course, under Mike Holmgren. Uh, you know, John Gruden, Steve Mariucci, Ray Rhodes, Dick Geron, Mike, uh, Mike, Mike Sherman, Jim Zorn, Marty Morganweg. I mean, you have so many NFL head coaches and assistant coaches and have gone on to success at the collegiate level um, that coached under Mike Holmgren and had so much success. I think that that's something else that has to be at least acknowledged here. And again, just basically irrefutable. 
credible evidence that Mike Holmgren needs to be in Canton. Yeah, I think that pointing out the coaching tree just adds another check mark to the list. I mean, he's got the record. He's got the playoff wins. He's got the star quarterbacks turning around two franchises that were in bad state in bad state of fortune and had not been making the playoffs. I mean, the Seahawks had not been in the playoffs for 10 years when he took over. The Packers had been awful for two decades for the most part. For him to come in and turn those fortunes around as quickly as he did, to develop quarterbacks, to develop coaches under him, again, this is not me speaking as a Seahawks radio show host. This is me speaking as an NFL mind. Mike Holmgren is one of the best coaches that the game has seen in terms of instructing players and being able to develop players and develop coaches, and he's got to win losses. He's got the playoff victories. He's got the Super Bowl. He won one of those three, came up just short in the other two. But how many coaches get to three Super Bowls? He deserves to be in Canton. So hopefully this will be the year that it happens in 2023. At least get into the finalists again and see if maybe this time he can be like Dick Vermeil and break through and get into the Hall of Fame. Vermeil's a very good coach in his own right. I think that Mike Holmgren's got a better resume overall, though. So hopefully winning Vermeil this year. We'll see what happens. Coming up next, we're going to answer your questions in our weekly mailbag segment here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Tons of questions from you, our valued listeners. We'll get to that here in a moment. Level with me. We've all been in a situation at some point in our lives when we were a little tight on cash. Trust me, I'm there right now getting close to getting married and dealing with all those financial issues. Maybe you can only afford to put a few gallons of gas in your tank or you've got another save the date and wondering how you're going to afford a gift, that's where Dave can help. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, or catch up on bills. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand for future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve, member FDIC. Future you will thank you. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We didn't get a mailbag in last week. It's the heat of the summer. There's been a lot going on for both of us, so we didn't quite get that last week, but we're going to get our mailbag in today. Some really great questions from you, our listeners, so let's get to it. Our first one coming from James Bryan, and Rob, you and I were loving this question going into our pre-planning, so I'm looking forward to our answers on this one. What do you think about a playoff format in which each winning team gets to keep a player of their choice from the opponent they just beat for the remainder of the playoffs. And I'm just thinking if Seattle would have beaten the Rams in the wild card round a couple years ago, it's pretty obvious who you're going to be bringing with you for the rest of the playoffs under this type of a scenario. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think just think about every time that uh, you, you play against Aaron Donald, you wish, well, my goodness, I wish that player was on my team. That that would be my selection if uh, Seattle was playing the Rams. I think it's kind of a, you know, kind of an anti-hunger or almost a hunger games kind of a scenario with this uh, this question here. It's kind of funny how, how that, uh, 
you know, how, what you're projecting here. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's fun, uh, obviously completely unrealistic, but, but certainly fun. I think it makes it for a heck of a, a video game kind of, uh, of, a, of a series here. Um, but, um, like I said, an awful lot of fun exercise here. And I guess, uh, just going back on, on some of Seattle's past games, um, you know, that they, they've had some success and, and moved on. Um, I, I just think of, uh, the way that Steve Smith and Luke Keekley played Carolina Panthers, those be two guys, uh, with Seattle successful. I thought, wow, I wish that, uh, the Seattle had those two players just because of the fact that they played as well as they did. God, I'm just thinking about the number of players, especially in the early 2010s when the Seahawks were competing for Super Bowls and some of the teams that they beat and the players that you could have. Could you imagine Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner playing alongside oh, exactly. each other? Good luck ever running the football. Those guys in the prime of their career, Steve Smith would have been fun. Him and Doug Baldwin in the same receiving core. I don't know that you could handle that much ruggedness in one receiving <laughs> core, but it would have been really fun. Uh, some of the players, the 49ers had in their roster when Seattle beat them yeah. in the NFC championship game, uh, Frank Gore and Marshawn Lynch is a one, two punch. I would have been very tempted to do that going into the Super Bowl, but yeah, it's a really fun scenario that would never play out. It's never going to be realistic, but I think it's a fun thing to hypothesize about, and it would certainly spice up the playoffs. It's just yeah, it's something that's ever going to happen, but it is kind of a fun thing to speculate on. Ryan tweets. If you two were scouting for the Seahawks, what college quarterbacks would you be watching for next year's draft? Rob, this is right up your alley. I've already started watching film on a few guys as well, but different territory in the post-Russell Wilson era, and there's a lot of good quarterbacks that are intriguing going into this class. That's the most exciting thing about it, Corbin. There, there really are. I mean, um, you know, I've, uh, you know, like you, have already started kind of evaluating the quarterbacks for next year. And with Seattle having uh, four draft picks in the first two rounds, of course, two first round picks, two second round picks, um, then I think that Seattle's going to be in play. The, the, the top five quarterbacks that I see it right now: Bryce Young from Alabama. Everybody knows about the Heisman Trophy winner. C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. He might be next year's Heisman Trophy winner. Will Levis from from Kentucky, a Penn State transfer, has got all kinds of physical tools. Hendon Hooker uh, from Tennessee, he's a Virginia Tech transfer. He might be the most accurate quarterback that I saw on tape. And in terms of the types of throws that Seattle has asked uh, Russell Wilson at least to make over the last couple of years, so Hooker from Tennessee is somebody to keep an eye on. And then Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, uh, Tanner McKee from Stanford. Those are two other quarterbacks that uh, are getting an awful lot of buzz that I want to see them make some strides. But there's no question that they have some talent yeah I've so far had a chance to watch several games for CJ Stroud I love the Big Ten so of course watch plenty of Ohio State games and Will Levis I'll admit he is the guy I didn't know a lot about until middle of last year and I watched a Kentucky game and I'm like who is this kid and yeah. now I've gone back and watched several games for Kentucky and I don't know if he's got the highest ceiling in this group, but watching the tape, it's kind of hard to dispute. You know, when you look at the physical tools and the athleticism, I think he's got to stop hurdling guys. That kind of scares me a little <laughs> bit. But yeah. Levis and Stroud, uh, Bryce Young, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, Florida's quarterback, for some reason, I'm not thinking of his name right off the top of my head, but uh, is a guy that has a ton of physical tools, but hasn't necessarily put it into practice yet in the field. So that's one I'm going to be watching closely. But this class is just loaded with quarterback talent. The question is going to be, are we going to feel the same way when we get to March next year? Because I think going into this last season in college football, there were several quarterbacks in this incoming class 
that were getting top five buzz. And one of them was Rattler, and he didn't even make it out of the season as Oklahoma's starting quarterback and then had to transfer. So a lot can change. But right now there's a lot of really talented quarterbacks in this class. And so far, Stroud and Levis are two that I really like. And I'm going to get a chance to watch more of these players as we get closer to the start of the college football season. Next question from the Yard Dog tweets, the Hawks seem to carry more one-year contracts than most teams. Is there a reason for this? Do you think it's good or bad? So I'm actually leaning kind of, I know that our listeners want us to pick a side, but I can't pick an absolute on this because I think there's some positives to it and there's some negatives. To me, and I've talked to you about this a lot on the show, Rob, there have been too many times where the Seahawks and free agency have given one-year contracts to players that are 30 years old or older that are past their prime and it hasn't panned out. Or it's been players that were from that 2013 draft class that did not pan out with their first team and they were playing bingo trying to sign as many of those guys as they could. Those were not good one-year investments and a few times it really badly burned them like Luke Jokel back in 2017, Eddie Lacy that same year. But at the same time, They've had a roster that's been in win-now mode, and those are usually the most affordable contracts. They didn't want to put themselves in a position where they had too many contracts that were on the books for multiple seasons. So there can be positives from that standpoint, too. I, I would lean towards it being a bit more negative, though, when you look at the outcome of some of those free agent signings that they've made. I liked that John Schneider switched things up this spring and was signing younger players like Uchenna Nuosu to multi-year contracts to bring them into the fold, more like the Bengals did in free agency a year ago. I, I think you can get used to them them signing players, young players, to multi-year contracts, Corbin, for the next uh, several years, likely, because that's the, the freedom you are allowed when you don't have you know, basically half of your salary cap being allocated to aging superstars. And, and Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner were definitely superstars, but they were certainly aging and decreasing in their impact. And so I think that it basically, from a salary cap perspective, forced Seattle to, to um, you know, to kind of try to make chicken stuff into uh, chicken salad. You know, a little bit with, with some of their, you know, these these one year kind of gamble kind of deals that they were giving these veterans that, as you said, may have been drafted highly, but certainly didn't have much NFL success. Or if they did have NFL success, then they were aging players that Seattle was trying to get one more year out of them kind of a thing. Uh, now that you don't have so much money tied up into a couple of different players, um, then I, I think that you can, you know, provide some longer contracts with a little bit more money um, to be able to kind of spread the wealth around a lot more. Our next question here coming from Fat Sloth Slot. I love the name. name. With Baker Mayfield getting traded to the Panthers, is there any chance the Hawks pull a fast one and everyone and try to go after a quarterback like, say, Gardner Minshew? I know that that's a popular name because he played at Washington State and fans would just love to see. Minshew mania come to Lumen Field but I don't see any way that that's going to be happening right now and you know we can throw Jimmy Garoppolo's name out there if Garoppolo gets cut maybe that's the quarterback the Seahawks would be willing to bring in but the more that this played out and it was a seesaw affair when it came to information on Seattle whether or not they were really interested in Baker Mayfield I think it is apparent now that maybe they did sniff around maybe they were somewhat interested but 
not to the point where they were going to turn their eyes from the two quarterbacks that they have set to compete. It seems like they genuinely believe Drew Locke versus Geno Smith is going to be a good competition, and they're going to have a solid starter come out of that battle going into the regular season. So the more that this drags out and they don't make a move, it really seems like they're content at the position, Rob. Yeah, it's it's not it doesn't feel that surprising to me, Corbin, because I I feel the same way. And, and so I don't need to be convinced. I am intrigued myself personally by what Drew Locke especially is going to be able to offer Seattle. And this is second opportunity. Um, you know, I really was a believer in his talent when he was coming out of Missouri, as we've talked about many, many times. Um, and, and I really think that he got kind of a, a raw shake in, in Denver. Um, so I, I am intrigued by what he is able to offer. And at the same time, I also like the consistency that Geno Smith provides. I think that he is going to be that steady Eddie type of force that if you can really run the football and play defense, as I think Seattle is going to be able to do this upcoming upcoming season then i think that they're going to be kind of sneaky competitive in an awful lot of football games i think that, that just fits right in with pete carroll's wheelhouse so i i just think that they have been and continue to be really intrigued by that positional battle and also intrigued by the upside that is jacob eason so i i just Sure, if a Jimmy Garoppolo is released, then because he's coming from a divisional rival, um, you know, then then perhaps that might be somebody that you're interested in. And yeah, the appeal of Gardner Minshew, I mean, for for lots of reasons, um, it is interesting. But I don't think that any of that is likely to happen. I think that Seattle is going to go with the quarterbacks that they already have. I think that you're going to see, uh, you know, that that be the spirit of competition. Um, and um, you know, I, I just don't think I think everything else is just conjecture um, from from those on the outside looking in who just don't believe as the Seahawks have shown every step of the way that they believe that it is basically going to be an open competition between the three quarterbacks currently on their roster. And our last question here coming from Jeremy tweets, what is one competition that likely won't happen at Seahawks camp? that you'd like to see happen. This is a really interesting question, Rob, because we've talked about the competitions that everybody knows are going to take place. Quarterback, right tackle, slot cornerback, maybe the edge rushers, running back, battling for reps. But what is one under-the-radar positional battle that you don't expect is actually going to play out next month but maybe should? You know, I, I besides the quarterback competition, obviously, I, I think that one of the things that um, I think Seattle is very invested in Noah Fant being successful, and I've talked about before that I really think Noah Fant is about to just absolutely explode. But I am very curious to see what would happen if Kobe Parkinson got those first string reps. Um, I'm just really intrigued by his athletic ability and his upside. I talk about guys who should be hungry. Kobe Parkinson should be hungry at this point in his career um, because he's going to be wanting to get that, that big second NFL contract. So to me, that is the, the, the tight end position is one that I think it's Noah Fant is going to take that job and run with it and be a star. I'm just really intrigued by Parkinson. And then really quickly, in terms of kind of crazy competitions and things like that that we know will never happen, I'd love to see a 40-yard dash between a couple of the guys on this team. Are you, I mean, are you kidding me? Goodwin and Woolen and Metcalf, and I mean, the list goes on and on. But those three in particular, oh, sign me up. Yeah, if we're talking like 40-yard dash competitions, I'm all for seeing those three or four speedsters go against each other. But I'm going to the trenches, and this is a position I brought up a few times recently. 
I want to see Gabe Jackson get pushed for his starting job by Phil Haynes and even throw Damian Lewis's hat in there. Tell those two guys that started last year, hey, you're not guaranteed you're going to start in week one. Phil, you get a chance to steal one of their jobs. And that would be the competition. And Pete Carroll will sell it that that's what's going on. But I, I believe truly they're going into this year with Jackson and Lewis as the starters. They want some continuity in their line. But we watched what Phil Haynes did those last two games last year, playing both guard spots, the impact that he had in the rushing game, how well he played in pass protection. And he's still a young player that hasn't played a lot of reps because of injuries. I want to see Phil Haynes in particular against Gabe Jackson. And maybe that's what it takes to bring Gabe Jackson's best out. And he has a bounce back season. I just didn't think Gabe Jackson, he was solid, but not great last year. And he's now past 30. He's getting to be an older player. I have some questions about his longevity and how well he's going to be playing into the end of his contract he's currently on. I want to see Phil Haynes get a shot to not only compete, but battle for that starting job at right guard. I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be the one that I would push for that's not getting a lot of notoriety up to this point. When we come back, we're going to continue our 90-player countdown, looking at numbers 40 through 36, now past the halfway point. Got a couple intriguing rookies and other young players that we'll be looking at going into the 2022 season here in a moment. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, whether it's MMA, boxing, or golf. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether it's on YouTube five days a week or on one of the major platforms that our podcast is available in audio form. We greatly appreciate it. It's time to continue our Seahawks 90-man countdown. We're now getting into the 30s, numbers 40 through 36. And we're going to start off with a player who is kind of on my short list, Rob, of returning players that might be a little bit on the hot seat. And that is Alton Robinson, who, in my opinion, around 270 pounds, his size and his skill set are better catered to play as a defensive end in a traditional 4-3 defense. And yet the Seahawks are going to be asking him to play as a hybrid linebacker on the outside. We've seen him drop back in coverage a little bit the last couple of years. It just doesn't look to me like that is something that he's very comfortable doing. I don't know that that is a great fit for his skills. And so I'm really curious to see where he fits in. If they're going to be playing a lot more 3-4 looks as we anticipate they're going to be doing, and he's playing that overhang linebacker spot, I've got some questions. Can Alton Robinson step up and fill that void, or is this going to be a mismatch that proves to be a bad one for the player and potentially puts his roster spot at risk. 
You know, I, that, that was one of the things I had some concerns about with Alton Robinson as well. But I, I did see some snaps uh, early on at Syracuse where he was asked to drop back. And he was, he's been asked to do that at times, as you mentioned, in Seattle as well. And, and I think that he has the instincts. I think that he has the, uh, the quickness, the balance. Um, he doesn't have great sustained straight line speed, and uh, at least on the football field. And so, that, so I do have some concerns about if you're going to be asking him to drop back into coverage very often. But I, I think that he is able to generate enough explosiveness, uh, you know, in a straight line as a rusher downhill and then dropping back. He really can generate some depth in his drops that, uh, and again, he shows some awareness, getting his hands up to deflect some footballs. Uh, he has kind of a, a track record of the force fumbles and the, the, the block kicks, things of that nature, passes bad down at the line of scrimmage going back to college that leads you to believe that he can be successful in that regard. I just wonder if Seattle's going to have some better players available or players ahead of him who are better suited to handling that transition, um, you know, or maybe it's not even a transition for them at all. So I, I would agree with you in that. I, I think that he is in for a spirited battle here. Um, I, I do like, we talked about this before with the kicker, Jason Myers, how his numbers go so up and down. It's almost predictable. Same thing without Robinson. You look at his numbers over his college career and, and early NFL career, they've been a little bit up and down. He should be trending up this, up this uh, upcoming season. So I'm excited to see uh, what he is able to, to bring to training camp. Now at number 39, another player coming into the final year of his rookie contract. Ugo Amadi has had an interesting journey so far in Seattle, Rob, because first season, his rookie year was mostly playing special teams. But the last two years, injuries to Marquise Blair have forced him into the lineup for extensive snaps at slot corner for well over half the season. He played 14 games primarily as the slot starter his sophomore season last year the last 11 games he was the primary slot and I thought last year he wasn't quite as effective in coverage he did get his hands on his first career interception I thought he played a little bit better in that regard the year before gave up a higher completion rate last year seemed to have a little more trouble with allowing speedy receivers to create separation against him. He is always going to be a better zone corner than man corner, in my opinion, because he doesn't have quite the change of direction skills that, say, somebody like Justin Coleman, who just came back to Seattle on free agency, is going to bring to the table. And Coleman has been a very good man cover corner. So you wonder going into this last year's rookie deal, yes, Amadi can play safety. He can star on special teams. He can play in the slot. Is he going to be a guy, though, where there's a role available for him because you now have Justin Coleman, Marquise Blair's coming back, the depth and the talent they already have at safety? His special team's value is enough to keep him on the roster, but he is another one. I would say it's probably an 80-20 proposition, but you have to believe there is a doorway to potentially him being either marketed as trade bait or getting cut because of the depth that Seattle has across the secondary right now. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, I, I think that the, the depth at safety in particular, we've talked about that all year long. That might be Seattle's strongest position top to bottom. Um, and, and then the cornerback, there's just so many new bodies. Um, there and and Ugo Amadi has a short body at that and and so he is viewed at the cornerback position is almost strictly a slot corner and then again the versatility be able to play safety and special teams as well but cornerback just slot um, whereas some of the other corners uh, Artie Burns 
excuse me, um, uh, as well, Artie Burns being the veteran, being one of them, but the the rookie in Kobe Bryant being one of them, who I do think offers you a little bit more positional versatility in that regard. Coleman, who you mentioned before as well, uh, Sidney Jones as well. I mean, all of these corners who have a little bit more positional versatility and have demonstrated more ball hawking ability. As, as you mentioned previously, I mean, he he only Ugo Amadi, who was known as a playmaker in college, um, not only on, on defense, but on special teams as well, but still has not demonstrated that ability to consistently turn the ball over in the NFL with his first pick last year. So uh, that's the thing. I, I think he's kind of right on the bubble. Um, you know, on this team and uh, and a player that I'm going to be fascinated to kind of see how he does. I think he does need to pr uh, produce some big plays in training camp to create a little bit of buzz for himself. Marquise Blair, the player that you mentioned there, I think is the true wild card. We talked about before over and over again. If Blair gets out of training camp healthy, I don't know that Amadi is going to be able to find a spot in this roster. Yeah, it's the reality. And another reality, LJ Collier, another 2019 draft pick is facing a similar situation, although his circumstances are different than Amadi in the sense that Ugo Amadi's been productive when he's had opportunities. He's played a lot of snaps for the Seahawks. He's been versatile. He's thrived on special teams. LJ Collier, two of the seasons he's been in the NFL, has failed to record a single sack. His rookie year, he had three tackles in 11 games. Last year, he was a healthy scratch for seven of the 17 games. I'm going to repeat that, seven of the 17 games. He was in the doghouse for Clint Hurt and the rest of the defensive staff. There just wasn't anywhere to play him. Late in the year, they had some injuries, and then he ended up finding his way back into the rotation. But Robert Kim DJ was getting game day reps over him in the first half of the season. So, yeah, you're going to the last year of rookie deal. They declined your first year or fifth-year option, which everybody expected because of the lack of production. He is coming to training camp significantly bigger. He's going to be around 290 pounds to play that defensive tackle spot. I think he's better suited with his physical playing style, his heavy hands, to play inside and be able to create some havoc as an interior pass rusher. I think there's still something there for him to become a viable rotational defensive lineman for the Seahawks. But the clock has already been ticking. And if he's not able to come in and have an impressive training camp at preseason, somebody like Miles Adams or even Jared Hewitt could end up stealing his roster spot and be a better fit playing that three-tech or four-eye technique. And the Seahawks, after how last season played out, they're going to have very little patience. It's put up or shut up, LJ Collier. You need to show that you can play for us. If not, we're going to move on. So this is an incredibly pressure-filled time for him, and he's got to step up to the plate. If he doesn't, the Seahawks have other guys in the roster. They'll move forward with, and that'll be viewed as one of the biggest busts they've had in the first round. It could, but I remember at this time last year, Corbin, we were talking about Rashad Penny as being a bust in the first round, and then he had his explosive uh, you know, return, and and that's really what I think that LJ Collier is primed to do. And, and call me just the eternal – you know, a Seattle optimist. And and I I just think that LJ Collier, for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned, is a much better fit in the 3-4 alignment that Seattle is likely to be using so much more this year than he's ever been in Seattle's defense in the past. And, you know, and I didn't, I don't, Think that you meant it as a slight in any way about Robert Kandice getting the, the starts uh, or, or the playing time ahead of him because we were we were, both were kind of intrigued by what Kandice showed. He is a quicker player 
than, than Collier. But Collier is big. He's physical. He's tough. Um, that was what allowed him to dominate a couple of practices at the Senior Bowl and really sent his stock skyrocketing. And he's got that junkyard dog kind of mentality that I've talked about before that Seattle, frankly, has been missing a little bit along the defensive line. And, and so I think that he's going to have a heck of an opportunity here. Um, I don't know that he is going to play well enough to earn back the good graces of Clint Hurt and the rest of Seattle's coaches because he clearly has been a disappointment to this point. But he is talented. He is big and physical, uh, and, and he is in the last year of his rookie deal. This is the time to explode, and he's shown an ability to do that in the past. His best season at TCU was his senior season. His best days at the Senior Bowl were those last couple of days of practice, uh, the most important days. Well, his, the most important days of his NFL career are right here ahead of him. I think you're going to get a focused and angry LJ Collier, and I think that's going to result in some success, perhaps some unexpected success for the Seahawks. And if that happens, he can play his way back into the franchise's plant. That's what Rashad Penny did, at least on a one-year deal last year by playing the way he did down the stretch. If Collier can put things together and play well, they certainly could have interest in bringing him back for the 2023 season and beyond. There's just a lot at stake for a player that's been really disappointing to this point. Next in our countdown, number 37, somebody that's on the polar opposite end of the spectrum here. Jake Curhan was not a first-round pick. Coming out of Cal, in fact, he was not a draft pick. He was undrafted. The Seahawks signed him despite being a four-year starter at Cal in the Pac-12. Heart issues were flagged, went undrafted, and all he does as a rookie, Rob, is play some starts or play some snaps at both guard spots, and then he starts the final five games at right tackle in place of an injured Brandon Shell. Is a mauler in the run game. He had his issues in pass protection, but I thought as he gained experience that he did better especially against speed rushers that are a bit more of a problem for him. I thought he got acclimated and played well, and now he's going to be in a position where he's competing against Abraham Lucas, maybe going to get some snaps at right guard as well like he did in OTAs and minicamp, but he looks squarely set to be on this roster. It's just going to be a matter of what position, and is he going to be a starter? Because I do think he is still going to have his name in that hat because of how well he played the end of last year. And just the mentality that, that he plays with. I mean, he is just a brawler, as you said. Um, you know, as a four-year starter in college, and obviously as a as a rookie, and, and carves out a starting role. I mean, you just have to be wired right to be able to do that. And he just doesn't look the part, but he he is very effective, and he's a heck of a teammate up up front. He, he's the kind of guy that's got your back, and that that just means so much along the line of scrimmage, and it develops that rapport. Um, and, and so I do think that he has the ability to be able to slide inside the guard but that's going to take some time um and he's going to take some lumps if he's doing that so i, I think that that's going to be a fascinating battle to watch but one of my favorite players to to evaluate i thought that he was one of the the truly uh most positive stories from last year and and that kind of is a i think a, a nice little transition to the our last player on our list and that being the rookie kobe bryant who um you know was, was of course overshadowed at cincinnati with amaz sauce gardner but bryant wins the the Thorpe Award, and it's with the, the that kind of Mamba mentality that, of course, which he was named after the late great NBA star. That uh, that I think makes Kobe Bryant one of the players, kind of like Jake Kerr, as we just talked about, two completely different positions, but two very similar mindsets. And I think that that is one of the reasons why we could see Kobe Bryant do just like Jake Kerrhan and wind up surprising a lot of critics uh, when it's all said and done in this rookie season.
Yeah, I've been saying it for months. I think Kobe Bryant has a very good chance to be starting, not just at some point his rookie year. I think he's got a very good chance to be starting against Russell Wilson at Lumen Field in week one because this kid is coming into the league. Yeah, you might not have the highest ceiling with him because he doesn't have the greatest athletic metrics, in particular in the eighth percentile on the agility drills. So he's not a guy that changes directions near as well as most of the corners coming into the draft, but he makes up for it with his instincts and his football IQ. And he finds his way to the football, whether it's interceptions or pass breakups. He racked both of them up in bunches at Cincinnati. And quarterbacks were testing him. They didn't want to throw the ball at Sauce Gardner. And a lot of times when you're the the corner opposite of a player that caliber – you're going to give up some big yardage. You're going to give up touchdowns. That was not the case with Kobe Bryant. And I just think the way that he is wired, you mentioned the mindset, the physicality, the ball skills, the confidence, the quiet confidence that this kid plays with. I think he is poised to play significant snaps right away for this football team. And they're looking for guys that can create turnovers because that was a huge problem from them, them last year. Kobe Bryant is going to be able to step into the lineup and you know he's going to get his hands on the football. The way that he plays the game, his instincts, his savvy in coverage, understanding the routes. He runs the routes for receivers a lot of the time. And so you can be an average athlete when you have that uncanny ability. So I think Kobe Bryant's got a chance to be a significant impact player right away for the Seahawks in their secondary. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're available five days a week on YouTube and all major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. You can download for free. Subscribe five days a week coming your way. Coming up on Monday, we're going to continue our 90-player countdown, and we're going to look at our next positional battle. We've covered right tackle. We've looked at the quarterback position We're going to check out that slot cornerback position that's looking to be a spicy one on defense for the Seahawks. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the nice weather in the Pacific Northwest. Go Hawks.